You're listening to the Britpop Show, sponsored by Creation Day Festival, playing the best and the rest of Britpop. It is a lovely autumnal evening out there. So if you're listening live, welcome to the Britpop Show. And tonight we are going to be pushing the boundaries of Britpop. I'm going to be playing some songs that you really would say that's not Britpop, but I'm going to push it anyway. But at the same time, a bit of a juxtaposition, we're going to have an interview with Britpop royalty in the form of Rick Witter. And we're going to kick off with an absolute classic from Oasis.
and alcohol. Not just cigarettes, not just alcohol, both. That's by Oasis, as you all know from their first album, Definitely Maybe. That was released on the 10th of October 1994. And it's the 11th of October now. I do love an anniversary. And this gives me the excuse as well, because my dad's birthday is the 12th of October. So by the time he listens to this, because he won't be listening to it till the morning, by the time he listens to this, it will be his 77th birthday. So happy birthday, Dad. Uh, hopefully you are listening, otherwise it would be a bit embarrassing. But what have we got today? Today we have an interview, first part of the interview with Rick Witter. Rick Witter from Shed 7, Britpop royalty. I know, the guests that we get on the show I, I'm just amazed by. But we've got him, he's in the can, and do you know what? I'm going to play the first part now. How did the band start? Well, it's a kind of potted history really i met paul and tom when we joined school in year what is now year seven we always used to call it year one so the first year at big school basically yeah. uh we all kind of met we were in the same year and just kind of bonded over a love of music even at that time so it took perhaps me and paul a year or two to decide that we wanted to actually be in a band i'd always grown up holding a hairbrush to the mirror as a nine, ten-year-old, pretending I was a singer in a band. So that obviously that job was taken immediately. So Paul decided he was going to be the guitarist and he'd never picked up a guitar, so he did and self-taught himself. So we'd spend an awful lot of time as early teens just kind of pretending we were in a band, really. Um, you know, writing the odd little ideas here and there, but you know, almost kind of designing record covers for the songs that we hadn't even written yet, you know. And then went through school in various kind of guises, usually with us three as a core. And then it got to kind of school leaving time. The Stone Roses released their debut album, which kind of made us pull our socks up a bit. We just thought, right, well, obviously we love doing this. We always kind of sounded a little bit House Martins, jingly jangly. But then, as I say, when the Stone Roses debut came out, we thought, right, well, this is this is a game changer. So we decided to change the band name and, and start taking ourselves a little bit more seriously, which we did. I lost my heart in San Francisco years ago. I've been back to search, but the curse is getting worse. Don't you know that the hardest blow to take is the There's a lot of myths around where you got the name Shed 7 from. Let's hear it from the yeah. horse's mouth. Well, um, way back in the 90s, we got so bored of answering that question because believe me, we would always, every single interview for years and years, they would always ask, where did you get your band name? And you would like to think after a certain amount of time 
a little bit of research would have answered that for you. Do you, know, do you want to know what I heard? Mm. I heard you're on a train leaving York Station and you were counting the sheds and there was sheds one, two, three, four, five, six and then shed eight and shed seven was missing and that's why uh, you ended up being called shed seven. You're pretty much correct, but I must clarify that when I go on trains, I'm not looking for sheds. I'm not actually on the lookout for sheds. It just so happened me and Tom were on a train going from York to Manchester. Um, we did need a band name at this point. And yes, you're right, the other side of Leeds Station, as we were leaving that, there was a, a big row of massive train sheds where obviously the trains go in and get fixed and each one had a big door on it which said Shed 1, Shed 2. Shed 7 was there but it just didn't have a door on it so it was the only one without a door on it so I think I said to Tom that must be Shed 7 and for some strange reason that stuck but as I say we got so bored and that is quite a boring answer and because we were having to answer it so much we, we kind of started to come out with variations on the theme so it's probably our fault why there's probably a few different <laughs> variations out there so we used to say that alan lost his virginity when he was seven in a shed that <laughs> uh, there used to be 11 members but we shed seven of them so now there's only four like it just to kind of create a little bit of fun for ourselves really and then it got to the point probably towards the late 90s where we just stopped fast refused to answer the question because it was so boring <laughs> But I've had a few years off, so I don't mind you asking. Oh, thank you, thank you. So this was in the 90s, and I told somebody I was working with that story, and she said, so you're listening to a band who are full of train spotters? <laughs> to be honest, looking back, it's not the most glamorous word to have in your band name, is it really, Shed? But uh, to me, once you've kind of become a little bit established, I don't think anyone even really thinks about the name. They just say it, you know. I. I I might put U2's Joshua Tree on, but I don't think U2, I know it's a kind of plane. I don't put Simple Minds albums on and think, Simple Minds. That's mm, right. Yeah. You, That's just, right. You, just, you, you know, it becomes, it just becomes the thing. Every band like, name is rubbish until the band becomes good, in which case it becomes irrelevant. Like Blur, yeah. an oasis. Yeah, totally, totally that, yeah. yeah. question uh, but you've got to ask it and that's why i had to jump in and tell him hey guess what 
I know the answer, but I just want everyone else to hear it. I want everyone else to know what the answer is. So I wanted him to tell it, and I'm glad he did. That, in the background, of course, was The Heroes. If you like the sound of that, that's off their third album, Let It Ride. Worth checking out that one. The second album, I think, Maximum High, I think is their best album. But Let It Ride has got some classics on it as well, so worth worth listening to. Now, we are getting some loads of requests in. So if you want to get a request in, get it in now because we're trying to squeeze them in at the same time with these interviews. But I'm trying to hit you with a, a band that you don't really know. And I was listening to this at the weekend and I thought, you know what, I'll play that on the show. This is Say Something by Haven. If you know it, you know it's a belter. If you don't know it, you are very welcome. <laughs> Yeah. 
Hey, what do you think of the Britpop show so far? It's a bit dodgy, mate. Is it, small child? Is it dodgy? I think we're playing some pretty good tunes tonight. Had a bit of Oasis, and that was Haven with Say Something. If you don't recognise that, go out and check it out. Get it on your Spotify playlist. Great, great song from the 90s. But we've got a, an interview with Rick Witter to play, haven't we? And I'm going to play some of that. And then immediately after this next segment, where he's going to talk a little bit about... Um, we're going to play some Long Time Dead in the background. But immediately after that segment, I'm going to play the first of not, not one, but two special requests for a, a wedding anniversary that is over 20 years. I have a 25th wedding anniversary and then a 21st wedding anniversary request. I don't know what's going on. Maybe it was something in the water around October 20 odd years ago. In the meantime, here's a bit more Rick. So at what point did you realise that you might be onto something? When I was about nine singing with a hairbrush in front of the mirror. <laughs> See, my mate did this, my mate. He did exactly what you did. They were called Mainwaring, Evans, Lewis and Thomas. That's spelled Melt. So they called themselves Meltdown and they were going to be a heavy metal band called Meltdown. Right. They had it all, right. except yeah. none of them could play any instruments or any songs. But you guys right. actually did it. Yeah, well, this is the thing you see, because that sounds great. I mean, that, that could potentially still be a great thing in the music industry. Somebody should do just that. <laughs> without sounding too boring the sheer fact that we love showing off means that you want to learn an instrument and you want to go and stand on a stage and perform in front of people because you want to show off that was a major thing growing up and we still have that now but you know talking about the fact that we were 12 13 14 15 16 year old kids and continued to do it all the time you know, we were playing in pubs in York when we were like 15. We weren't even allowed to go in there anyway, but we were actually setting up and performing on stages. You know, we used to put adverts around school corridors advertising the fact we were playing in the Spotted Cow in York and the teachers are coming up going, what are you doing? You can't advertise that here. So we always had that kind of hunger for wanting, it to, for wanting to do it. And even in them school bands, we attracted a lot of people who would come and watch us play you know so yeah. and I used, to, I used to read books at this point about I was a big Rolling Stones fan so I used to read books about how they started and it almost felt we had a similar kind of buzz there was a, a lot of people would come to these shows and you know we were still very young kids but we'd also put the work in we'd rehearse every week a lot of kids these days they sit on their asses playing on the Xbox but we got up and we went out and rehearsed and spent money on rehearsal rooms so that we could do it you know and yeah. And the older we got, 
obviously the more opportunity opens up to you so you get to 17 and 18 and then you, you suddenly can hire a van and drive to london and do a gig in front of nobody and then drive all the way home again and then get up and go to work the next day yeah so we always that hunger you know we always kind of believe you're a long time dad so i'll forget that you're sad if i can have you nobody can have you nobody can so there would be times where we'd be probably bombing back up the M1 at three in the morning after playing in front of three people in a pub in London. And we wouldn't get depressed about it. We'd just think, oh, that, that was brilliant. Let's, I can't wait to do that again, you know? Yeah. So yeah. having that hunger and the belief, and that's what, if people ever ask me now, what would you say to young up and coming bands? It's just that. As long as you've got the hunger and the belief, anything could happen. But at what, at what point did you realize it was gonna happen? Um, it must have been a song where you thought, Do you know what, this is this is kicking off now. Well, we formed in 1990 as Shed Seven and decided at that point to start taking it more seriously. And I think one of the first songs we wrote was Dolphin. And we did feel like, you know, obviously we didn't release Change Give It until 1994. So we had that four years previous, as well as a few other bits and bats. And that just felt different, and it felt like we were doing something nobody else was doing, because at that point, the Stone Roses and the Happy Mondays were kind of on the way out, so to speak. The Stone Roses went into hiding, the Happy Mondays were just all over it on drugs, and it, it was becoming a bit acid housey, 91, 92, you know. Yeah. So we genuinely felt that, and we're from York, which is kind of a small city, so we thought that we were kind of the only young kids trying to do stuff with guitars really at this point. I know grunge was about, but we were kind of more of the British mentality, a bit like what Blur were doing. And then lo and behold, you suddenly realise that there is a Blue Tones down south and there's a Sleeper down south and there's a cast in, in Liverpool and, you know, so on, and then a Manchester Oasis kind of thing. And you realise that everyone else is thinking the same as you and that's when it collided and became what it became. Yeah. But I guess, I guess, the, the, the first real inclination that we were kind of starting to get somewhere was when we started to get little mentioned in the enemy before we were signed. Uh, people were kind of starting to, the word was spreading. I don't know how it was, but it was. And we started ended up going to like these music seminar things in Manchester and London and, and suddenly we were being voted the third best band and signed band, you know. So yeah, that was quite pleasing to, to know that things were starting but you can never take anything for granted anything could happen at any point to stop yeah. you in your track you hear so many horror stories of bands who almost make it and then it never happens you know yeah. but yeah i think that the fact that we just carried on writing and carried on believing in ourselves really did us the power of good
to the uh, to the songs in the background of that, and you think, Do you know what, I like that. I like that music. This is all Shed Seven music. The first song was "Out by My Side," piano version. I know, dodgy version off uh, off a like a second CD type thing, and then that one was was "Long Time Dead," which is off their first album, "Change Giver," which is an absolute belter. A message from Paul saying, "Change Giver" is an incredible album. He says he played it constantly when he moved to Spain, and it was a, a memory of home. I agree. A long time dead. Absolute belter of a song. So if you want to, you want to listen to a bit more of Shed Seven, I'd start with the Heroes and then Long Time Dead. Might as well start there. But I've been telling you about requests, and I've had a request from Dave. Dave has been married tomorrow for 25 years with his wife Wendy, and. He says uh, his wife, Wendy, is listening to the show today, which is a rarity, apparently. No doubt she listens to the podcast. Uh, and she, he said, when, you, when she heard you tease the anniversary, she smiled and looked at me and said, what did you do? Well, he's made play to ask for a request. And he wants, I want to be adored, or this is the one, by the Stone Roses. And Rick Whittle has already said how the Stone Roses were a game changer for him. So we might as well play it, two birds with one stone. Here it is, I want to be adored.
already in me. Bit of a cheeky request for a wedding anniversary. Like it though. That goes out to Dave and Wendy. 25 years of happily married bliss. Must be happily married because this guy, Dave, has a decent taste in music and that is the foundation for any good marriage. Now, moving on to the second wedding anniversary now. And this is from a guy called T. And T says, listening to your show, I've added songs by Dodgy and Ocean Colour Scene to my playlist and would normally request that you play one of their songs. However, it's my 21st wedding anniversary this week and think on this occasion, it would be more fitting if you could play Disco 2000 by Pulp. This is for T and Angelica.
21st wedding anniversary to T and Angelica. 21 years of wedded bliss. Now, it bothers me, the fact that 20 years ago is 2001 and not, you know, the 1980s. That doesn't sit well with me. I've got to admit, I can't quite get used to that. But that was Disco 2000 by Pulp. And tonight we, talk, we have we got an interview, first part of the interview with Rick Witter. Would you like to hear some more? Of course you would. Online and on your smart speaker. Playing all the best songs. So what's your songwriting process? How does a song form? Well, usually... I'm always jotting ideas lyrically down, always. But the the usual process would be Paul would perhaps send me a guitar riff. Usually what would happen first is I would immediately come up with a melody. And the times where it hasn't worked is when I've changed my initial melody. Because usually for me, the first thing that comes into my head is the one that works best. So Mm. I would come up with a melody and then we'd get together and run around the the chords and the melody i perhaps at this point wouldn't have any words but i'd just be humming the melody and then we'd know that we're kind of onto a winner it's catchy it's good you know there's bits that change here and there and then i would take it away and perhaps fit words to that melody but as i say i'm always writing lyrical couplets down so i would perhaps go over my notes and come up with a good line that I've written down and then build on that really and make it into a story. I I can be on a train and I'll be inadvertently overhearing somebody's conversation and somebody could just say something that will trigger as the start of a story in my head off, which is always quite good fun. That'd be amazing if you you were like, hang on a sec, that sounds a lot like what I said. And then (laughs) suddenly... That, yeah, that, totally that, yeah. Yeah, imagine if someone remembered saying something to the friend and then I'm singing it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, we've had a message in as well saying that T, who had his 21st wedding anniversary at the weekend, got gold in the Surrey Cross Country Men's 55 category. Congratulations to you, Mr. T. Well done. In the meantime, I've had a new listener. A new listener, Josh, and Josh has said that he was listening to the podcast. And he was like, "What's that song by Electricy that I'd never heard of, and I can't get anywhere?" And it turns out he was talking about Morning Afterglow, and it's right, Morning Afterglow is not available on Spotify. And so, if you want to hear a bit of Morning Afterglow, you've got to get yourself onto onto our podcasts. But so he, I, I sent uh, I sent Nigel Nisbet a text about that, and he was very happy about that. But the new listener, Josh, he said, do you know, ever play any Smiths? He said, I think it's probably Britpop. Now, I'm not convinced Smiths is Britpop, but I do know that Noel Gallagher covered this one, so we might as well play it.
to the Britpop Show. Sponsored by Creation Day Festival. Playing the best and the rest of Britpop. So, cheesy questions. Any song, any time, any era, what song do you wish you'd written? Um, tough one. Um, I'll go with uh, Jumping Jack Flash by the Rolling Stones. Nice. I could, didn't you cover that? We did actually at one point. We were, we well, in fact, we were asked to perform our Rolling Stones song on TFI Friday. We'd been on there and and done our own single, and then Chris Evans liked it enough to want to invite us back. Yeah. So when we had the next single ready to release, he says, "Yes, you can come on as long as you do another song, but it has to be a Rolling Stones song." So we chose Jumping Jack Flash, which then accidentally became the B-side to On Standby, the actual performance of TFI Friday. Yeah, it sounds to me fact, like you've lined that up for the show now. I'm going to have to play that now, aren't I? Well, there you go, yeah. You but go. there is that. Funnily enough, there is actually another Rolling Stones song called Winter, which is probably my favourite Rolling Stones song. So you can choose one of those two. All right. I'll let the audience choose. Right. Well, the song Winter, <clears throat> it's off an album they did in the early 70s. Um, a Goat's Head Soup, it was called the album. And I don't know what it is about that song, because I, I believe they recorded it in Barbados in pure heat. Uh, but it's all about winter and Mick right. Jagger's performance on that is incredible to, to say that he must have been absolutely boiling while he sang that song, the emotion that he puts into it. Um, and then not so long ago, I actually found out that the the great, really good guitar solo in it isn't Keith Richards because he was that fucked on smack that <laughs> Mick Taylor had to do it for him. So <laughs> it, it's a song that keeps on giving. Definitely gave you a warning on that, didn't I? Definitely warned you what was coming. 
Uh, yeah, be careful of that, kids. Uh, some uh, rock star language. But he's requested some... He said his favourite song was Rolling Stones. And I'm pushing the boundaries. And was this the birth of Britpop? Maybe. You don't need me to tell you. Message from Anon. Tune, tune, tune. He's loving that one. And also a message from Brian saying, Hi, I thought you were going to let the listeners decide. Yeah, do you know what? Favourite Shed 7 not song. not a democracy. I can't answer it. I, I get asked that so many times and it, it's it's so difficult to answer that because I've had a hand in writing all of them. So yeah. they're the, like my babies. I know that's a stupid thing to say, but, you know, 
See, Mark there Morris is... said that. He said that's like choosing between your children. And I said, but yeah. you always have a favourite child. Well, there is that, but I wouldn't yeah. want to say who that is either because I'll get myself into trouble. <laughs> but I think that, for me, there's there's songs that, obviously, the, the more well-known ones that go down better live because they're more well-known, so more people are singing along to it. Yeah, It's all very satisfying to be able to perform them. So without a doubt, Chasing Rainbows is, is one of them. Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's my favourite Shed 7 song. It's just, it, it's one that provokes a great reaction. So well, let, let's twist the question slightly. If some idiot had never heard of Shed 7, what song would you say to them, right, you've got to, got to listen to this one first, just to hook them in, just to give them a window into Shed 7, a way in? I, I would say just put on the 22-track Greatest Hits album and enjoy. <laughs> Interestingly, with that album, that came out in 1999. Yeah. And we'd released three studio albums at this point, and yeah. the record record label were badgering us to do a greatest hits. And we were kind of women and our in thinking, well, we've only had three studio albums, so is it a bit previous to be doing a greatest hits so soon? Yeah, they were kind of adamant, and then we kind of thought, well, we have had about fourteen top forty singles, so there is. It's not like we're taking the mickey here. We have had a few hits, so. Yeah. But the premise was they wanted us to re to release that record, but they wanted us to write two brand new songs to put on that album to help sell it. Yeah. So that was slight pressure. Can you write two hits by next week, please? Kind of thing. So, but yeah, we did. Two songs we that are good enough to be on a greatest hits album. Yeah, which yeah. is a bit of a weird scenario to be put in. But we did. We wrote Disco Down and we wrote High Hopes, neither of which were on any studio album. So. That was quite satisfying because that probably we wouldn't have written those two songs or they wouldn't have existed in that form otherwise. They might have yeah. been a similar kind of idea on the next album. But So a happy accident. Now that's it from Rick Witter this week. But in two weeks' time, come back because we're going to have some more of that interview. It, went, it was great. It went on and on. Now, I told you that this week was... It was a lot of requests and I've had a request for something from the Seahorses. Now, in a happy coincidence, Shed 7 are going on tour and they are in November and December coming to a town near you and they are being supported by Morris, Clark and Helm. Helm is, of course, Chris Helm of the Seahorses and as a result, this song is going out to Ali, Blinded by the Sun.
Now I'm going to finish with the Blue Tones track, if I may. I'm sure you'll allow it. I saw the Blue Tones 25 years ago this month in 1996. I saw them in Leicester de Montfort Hall. Went with one of my mates, and they played a load of songs. And they they played this song. It's and they I swear they called it at the time Sleazy Bed Song. But it turns out when they released it years later on their second album, it was called Sleazy Bed Track. I think it's one of their best songs. It's a slurry, but a goodie. Thanks to all, as always, for listening, and I'll see you on the flip side.